Colossians 2, 16-23, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. There are two opposite errors into which Christians are likely to fall, and we see these very clearly in the New Testament. And we could summarize or label these two errors as no rules or new rules. No rules or new rules. Now, the no rules error is that Christian freedom means that there are no norms whatsoever that guide our behavior. No rules whatsoever. We are free. The new rules error identifies Christianity with improved behavior and usually emphasizes the elimination of vices that are common in society. When I was in Mexico, I remember having people try to figure out who I was because we were, as evangelical Christians, a small minority. And I remember one woman, when I was trying to explain about our church, she said, oh, I know who you are. You are the ones who don't smoke or drink. And I thought, well, yes, probably that's true. Smoking and drinking are very common in the society, and it's it's true that evangelical Christians smoked less and and drank a lot less than, than the society. But I thought... Why is it that that has become our identity in this culture? Now, both of these errors, both of these errors are partially based on truth. Partially based on truth. The no rules error correctly understands that no one will right, be right before God by obeying rules. So they, they, they get that part of the equation. And the The new rules error correctly understands that faith in Christ transforms our behavior. And so both of these are based on truths about the Christian life. Now, the no rules error was typical in the believers in Corinth. If you want to read a response to the no rules, then go to Corinth. But if you want to hear about churches that were falling into the new rules error, you can read Paul's letter to the Galatians, and here we have Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now, up to this point, 
Paul and Timothy have gestured at, they have hinted about the false teachers, the heretics in the midst of the church there, but they haven't really told us what the errors were. And now we're beginning in this section to understand what the errors were, and we discover that the, the heretics were, were new rules people, applying new rules to the people of God. But actually, that's not quite accurate. Actually, they were trying to apply old rules as if they applied to the new situation. So, um, this, this section is largely negative, in which Paul and Timothy tell the believers, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And what are the don'ts? They say, don't submit to obsolete rules, verses 16 and 17. Don't be disqualified by religious frauds, verses 18 and 19. And then, verses 20 to 23, don't submit to human religious rules. So this is all about the rules that you don't have to submit to, and the kind of teachers you should not follow. Now, um, some in the Colossian church, apparently, were trying to make Old Testament dietary and calendar laws binding on all Christians. That's how we start, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now, the the food probably refers to Old Testament laws about dietary restrictions, what you can eat and what you cannot eat. It's interesting that we don't find drink restrictions in the Old Testament. But, in the time of the New Testament, there was concern about whether this wine had been offered in sacrifice to idols or not. And so that was a concern that they had in the the Corinthian church, and perhaps here as well. And uh, with regard to a festival, that's kind of a general uh, term. New moon, many people recognize the new moon, but then it says Sabbath. So it looks like what's going on here, it's mentioning the yearly the yearly, uh, the yearly calendar items of, uh, of the Old Testament, the monthly calendar item of the Old Testament, which was the new moon, and the weekly calendar item of the New Testament, which was the Sabbath. So it looks like that there were some in the Colossian church who were saying, no, you have to follow these Old Testament rules about eating and, by extension, drinking. You have to follow these Old Testament rules about yearly, monthly, and weekly observances. Now, the interesting thing here is that we have the same sort of situation in the church in Rome. But Paul's attitude is is quite different in the church in Rome. What he said there, if you go to Romans chapter 14... Verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor, honor of the Lord and gives thanks to to God. So in Romans, we find a rather libertarian attitude on Paul's part. Hey, this person has the conviction about this day, this person has a conviction about this, this food, and Paul says, fine, they're serving the Lord according to their convictions. Let them be convinced in their own minds. That's fine, the way they're serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. But here in Colossians, we find a very different attitude. 
We find Paul and Timothy saying, Do not submit to these who would judge you according to it. What is the difference here? The difference is, in Romans, Paul is saying, Tolerate one another. Put up with different people's convictions on different matters. And, and that's how they were getting along in Rome and how he was encouraging them to get along in Rome. But in Colossae, there were those who were saying, No, this is not a matter of personal choice. This is not my conviction. This is what every Christian must do. And when, when this became obligatory, Paul and Timothy responded very, very strongly and said, Do not, do not submit to that sort of judgment. Do not submit to that sort of imposition, universal obligation on all Christians. We should not allow ourselves to be judged by those who would take obsolete rules and apply them to all Christians. Now, why are these rules obsolete? Verse 17. He says here, they are, these are, a shadow. A shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. This kind of language about shadow and substance or body actually we find in Plato. Because Plato's idealistic theology or theology or philosophy was that there are real eternal things in the the realm of the forms. That's the reality. And what we have down here, we have shadows. So, the form of the microphone is out there somewhere in eternity, and this is a shadow of the form of the microphone. Okay? So, this was current in, in the philosophy of the ancient world. But that's not the idea here. The language is similar. But notice that this is not an eternal uh, sort of idea. It's a temporal idea. It's saying the shadows were in the past, and now we have the reality. So it's not like it's an eternal relationship. It's a temporal, it's an historical relationship. That we had the shadows in the past. And what were those shadows? Food regulations and calendar regulations. They were shadows. They were pointing forward to the reality that was to come. We find this kind of language in, in Hebrews as well. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So, the argument is, don't go backwards, folks. These were shadows. These were preparatory. These were temporary. And now we have the reality, and the reality belongs to Christ. So don't go backwards. Remember the basic summary of the options here. The, the, the false teachers were saying, Christ plus. And Paul and Timothy are saying, no, Christ only. They were saying, Christ plus these, these, uh, these regulations from the Old Testament. And Paul and Timothy are saying, no, Christ only. So don't submit to obsolete rules. In second place, don't be disqualified by religious frauds. And here Paul and Timothy go after those who were teaching these things. Verses 18 and 19. Let no one. Verse 16. Let no one. Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. 
So we should not let anyone disqualify us from receiving the prize, that's the language here, by applying their standards to us. You see, if they want to follow that that diet, fine. If they want to serve the Lord by following that diet, that's up to them. If they apply that diet to us and disqualify us on the basis of their conviction, then Paul and Timothy say, do not let yourself be disqualified by them. Now here we discover that the heretics were ascetics. Ascetics. And ascetics deny themselves bodily pleasures in order to develop their spirit. And there is, there's a strong strain of asceticism in, in Christian history. And asceticism in and of itself is not a bad thing. Saying no to our passions is not a bad thing. But we find here that they were denying themselves and treating their bodies very severely in an unnatural way. Verse 23 talks about severe treatment of the body. And the idea was their extreme self-denial was to put them on another plane of higher spirituality. The real Christians, the class A Christians, we are the ones who deny ourselves these legitimate pleasures and we treat our bodies severely. Now, there's a curious thing here. It says asceticism and worship of angels. Worship of angels. We're seeing that all of this error has a Jewish flavor to it. And so this idea of worship of angels doesn't seem to fit. Because Jews would be the last ones to worship anything other than the Lord, uh, the only true God, at least in theory. But if you go to the Old Testament, we find that they were always drawing astray and worshiping other idols. So it's not inconceivable that they were worshiping angels, but probably the other idea, the other possibility of this expression is that it was not that they were worshiping angels, but they were fascinated with the worship of the angels. That is to say, the worship that the angels themselves were offering to God. And so this is, this is somewhat speculative here, but the idea could be that they were, they were having some sort of ecstatic visions, it says, going on in detail about what they saw, visions, and so it may be that they were boasting about their superior worship experiences. They were saying, oh, in that worship service, I was communing with the angels, and the angels and I were worshiping there together, and let me tell you what I experienced. And you say, I, did, I didn't have that experience in worship. And they say, well, that's because you didn't fast enough this week. That's because you're not on the same plane that I am on. I am on this other plane and I am in the, the company of the angels. And the angels and I are worshiping together. Why? Because I mistreat the body, because I fast, because I deny myself. And if you want to be on the same kind of plane as I'm on, you need to do the same thing. Now, Paul and Timothy leveled them here. Leveled them. Because he says, he says in, they are puffed up without reason by their carnal, sensuous mind. That's devastating critique. Why? Because they thought their minds were extra, super, archi-spiritual. And Paul says, no. They're carnal. They're sensuous. They're bodily. And they're saying, what? What do you mean? We're the ones who are denying our bodily pleasures. And Paul says, yeah, but it's the same sort of thing. You're puffed up because what you do in the body, 
whether you indulge it, whether you deny it, you're still being sensuous, you're still being bodily, you're still being fleshly, and you are not super spiritual. On the contrary, you don't understand what spirituality is. Now, the explanation for their error, and here we get back to, back to really the whole point of this letter. Verse 19. What happened? How did they go wrong? How did they go off into this, this extreme asceticism and this focus on the worship that angels offer to God? Well, verse 19 tells us, not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to Jesus. You see, that's, that's what this letter is all about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ alone. That Christ is sufficient. That Christ is preeminent. And they, they let go of that. And so they, they, looked for, they looked for other things to add to their faith that, that, that would get them to where they wanted to be. They, they didn't hold fast to Christ who is the head. He's the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Here's Paul's famous image of the body of Christ with Christ being the head. And we find that he works this image in different ways. He works it one way in Corinth. He works it another way in Ephesus. And he works it a third way here. A different emphasis on this, this idea of, of Christ being the head and the body being, the, the church being his body. In Corinth, for example, he says, you need each other because you're one body. And every part is important. That's, that's the point there in Corinth. Here the point is this. If you get severed from the head, you will not grow. If you get severed from the head, who is Christ, you will be disconnected from life, and you will not grow. Because the body is knit together through joints and ligaments. It's all one body, and it grows together. What were they doing? They were separating themselves and trying to grow themselves through their, their own effort. And Paul is saying, no. He's saying, if you want a growth that is from God, you need to be connected to the source of that growth. You need to be connected to Christ. And that's what they did. They didn't hold fast. They let loose of Christ and began to grab onto other things. And they thought they were the ones who were growing the most, right? It looked impressive. They thought they were the ones who were really out ahead in the growth as Christians. And Paul and Timothy say, no, you're the sensuous ones. The only way to grow is to stay connected to Christ. And then, verses 20 to 23, don't submit to human religious rules. We've already heard don't submit to obsolete rules. Now don't submit to human rules. Here and in the following section, Paul and Timothy spelled out the practical implications of dying and rising with Christ. We saw this in our last text, that Christians have died with Christ, that Christians have been buried in baptism with Christ, that Christians have risen with Christ. And now, that sounds maybe theoretical, but now we get some of the practical implications. Look at verse 20. If with Christ you died. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 3. For you have died. And so he's going to be working this theme. Dying with Christ. Rising with Christ. And how does that look in our lives? And so, he says, if 
If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still in the world, do you submit to regulations? Now, here, uh, for the second time, we find Paul and Timothy mentioning the elements of the world. And this is a, this is a little bit difficult to, to figure out exactly. It's translated here, elemental spirits. And we talked about how the elements of the world were the, the constituent elements that make up the world. Um, earth, wind, fire, water. But these were associated with spirits as well. And so that's why it's translated elemental spirits. And, and these kind of things controlled, controlled food. They controlled the calendar. So we're beginning to see how the elements... And the spirits that are involved in the elements can be involved in questions of food and of drink and of calendar. The focus appears to be on dietary rules that are based on what we would probably call superstitions. Maybe the Zodiac, something like that. I, I said, you know, I bet there's something out there like that today. And so I typed into a search, Zodiac diet. And lo and behold, guess what there is? Yep, there's a Zodiac diet. Of course there is, right? So this, this day, there's a diet. And if you follow the Zodiac and you're this sign or that sign, you can figure out the best foods for you to eat and the best way for you to diet and lose weight. So this hasn't disappeared, folks. It, it's still here. The idea of tying uh, food and drink to elements, to stars, and, and the spirits that, that are associated with those stars. Now, um, the, there are four problems with these rules, or five, rather. Five problems with these rules. These rules that have to do... And look at, look, look at the kind of rules. Verse 21. And here he, he, they seem to be quoting, quoting the heretics. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. And it looks like it's talking about about food items. So oh, don't don't touch that. Don't touch that or you'll be you'll be unclean as in the Old Testament. Don't don't taste that. Don't handle that or you will get contaminated. You need to to stay away from those things. These are the kind of regulations regulations that that they were following or being tempted to follow and there are five problems. Five problems with these rules. First of all, Jesus on the cross thrashed as we saw the last time, thrashed the forces that govern these rules. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. And then this this section that we're seeing today starts with what word? Verse 16. Therefore, therefore, because Christ has thrashed these rulers and authorities, these elemental spirits, because He has completely dominated them, because He has His heel on their neck, it makes no sense, then, to govern your life according to these thrashed, beaten, defeated rulers, authorities, elemental spirits. They're the ones who have been crushed on the cross. So it makes no sense to follow rules governed by them. That's the first reason. The second reason, if we're believers in Christ, we died out from the elements that control these rules. Verse 20, this is the argument. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why would you still submit to them? So Christ thrashed them, 
That's the first argument. Second argument is, you died to them as well. If you have faith in Christ, you're united to Christ. When Christ died, you died. He thrashed them. You received the victory of that thrashing, of that victory on the cross. So, so if you died to them, you died, and the, the curious the expression here is, uh, died out from them, died out from under their influence, then it makes no sense to be controlled by these rules that are associated with them. The third thing. Third reason, these rules govern matters that pass away as they are used. Have you noticed that about food? You eat it, and then what? It's gone. It's gone. And it'll be gone out of your body pretty quickly. That is the, that's the, the, the thing I like least about Thanksgiving dinner. All that effort goes into it. Favorite meal of the year. And then after a very short time, what? It's gone. And maybe leftovers the next day, okay. But, but after that, what? It's gone. And, and these rules have to do with things that, that as soon as you use them, boop, they're gone. That's verse 22. It says, referring to things that all perish as they are used. And then the fourth thing is, These rules are made up by humans. Verse 22 as well. According to human precepts and teachings. And here, this is a almost quotation of the Old Testament text that we, that we read. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And then we find Jesus quoting this, Matthew chapter 7, or rather Mark chapter 7, verse 7. This is Jesus' accusation to the religious leaders of His day. He says, you are teaching doctrines taught by men. These are inventions of your own mind. And so that's the fourth reason. They're human rules. They're not God's rules. And then, the fifth reason is that these rules give uh, an impression of being super spiritual. But they are actually worthless or worse. Worthless or worse. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. They're impressive outwardly. They look like super devotion, super spirituality. But then it says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And actually, this is a notoriously difficult verse to translate. We get the the gist of it for sure. But there are translations which say, uh, not only does it not stop the indulgence of the flesh, but it encourages the indulgence of the flesh. That is actually a vehicle of the flesh for self-promotion. And so while they outwardly look very impressive, inwardly they are without effect. Now, why is that? Because we don't need just rules, do we? We have plenty of rules. It's not like we don't know what to do. 
It's not like we don't understand what's best. God has explained to us in His law what's best. We, we know what the rules are. We, we know what He desires of us. We know about His moral law, which is eternal, because it expresses His character. And we see about these, these laws that were shadows, and they passed away because Christ has come. But we didn't need just rules. If all we needed were better rules or a better application of the old rules, we wouldn't need a Savior. But God has given us a Savior. Why? Because that's what we needed. We needed and need a Savior. We don't just need new rules, and we don't need the old rules reapplied. We need a Savior. And that's why, at the end of the day, these rules are not going to give us the freedom that these teachers were promoting and offering. Now, you probably have noticed that this section, even as I said explicitly, is all negative. Don't submit to these. Don't submit to them. Don't let them disqualify you. Let no one judge you, etc., etc. So it tells us what not to do. Not to submit to obsolete rules. Not to submit to those who would apply their obsolete rules to us. Not to submit to human-made rules. And you may be at this point asking, well... Okay, I know what not to do now. Thank you. I don't need to do that. But how should I live? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that's what the rest of the letter is about. And so you're going to have to come back to hear how to live as those who have not only died to these things, but who have been raised with Christ to a new life. So let's pray. Our God, we thank You that You have set us free from rules that were preparatory. You've set us free from those who would apply those rules to us. And You've set us free from human-made religious rules. And You've raised us up with Christ to live in newness of life. Lord, I pray that as we have our various convictions among us as Christians, that we would honor You with those but we would not apply them to all if they don't belong to all. And we would not let others apply theirs to us. That we would be able to to live in freedom from these because we know that, that all of the rules of the Old Testament, in one way or another, they point to Jesus. And I pray, O God, that we would, by faith, hold fast to Him and never let go because He is the one who nourishes the whole body together and causes us to grow with a growth that really comes from You. May that be our growth, O God. May our growth be seen as supernatural growth that that comes from the head, from Jesus, and is communicated to us through faith in Him. We pray this in His name. Amen.